Hello dear gentle listener, I've got a couple of brief announcements before today's really great episode. First of all, sorry for the gap between shows, it's just me here and I've had some scheduling issues but there are a few great interview shows coming up including this one. Secondly, let me tell you about ALE, Alternative Left Entertainment, which as the name suggests is a collaboration of podcasters, writers and streamers who all provide entertainment which is also left-wing, anti-capitalist and, relevant to this show, anti-fascist. Go and check us out at alternativeleftentertainment.org. It features Eleanor Yanniger and also Com Radio, whose podcast I appeared on for their 69th episode. Nice. To talk about sex relationships and left politics. And also on their first Patreon episode with Eleanor to talk about the film Showgirls. There are lots of lovely folk doing some important work in the collective and it's been launched in the last couple of months so do check it out and show us all some love. That would be great. Lastly, as you know, this show is funded by my wonderful Patreon supporters. Hello, Patreon supporters, although you're probably not hearing this. Uh, via patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. You too can support the show on Patreon from just £1 a month. This is not a hobby for me, this is work. So if you can afford to support the show, that would be really great. The more patrons I get, the more shows I can make. It's as simple as that. I pay myself to research, record, produce and publish the podcast. I also pay fellow freelance guests a £50 fee for their time and expertise. Patrons also get early access to episodes. For example, this one has been out for a week already. And extras here and there, extended episodes or readings. They also get access to our Discord server where they can chat about the episodes to other fans of the show. They also don't get these annoying pleas for your support at the beginning of the show. So that's patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. Okay, now on with the show. Hello and welcome to Culture Sex Relationships. Regular listeners of this podcast will know that we recently had Scott Burlett on the show to talk about his work on understanding online communities of men related to the NoFap movement, the Manosphere and the alt-right. His work charted these groups and some of the often dangerous and worrying views they espouse. In today's show, we're going to take a more psychoanalytic approach. How are men in the manosphere constructing their masculinities? How does this relate to fascist ideas now, but also the fascist histories of the early 20th century? How can men in the manosphere both repress sexualities, yet also build entire communities talking about it? What fantasies are told about the threats of masculinities and how they're both necessary and necessarily destroyed? And what are our best hopes for how we can respond or how these men might respond? Is there ever any way back for violently misogynistic men online? Jacob Johansson has written an excellent and engrossing book called Fantasy Online Misogyny and the Manosphere, and I'm delighted to say that he joins us now. Welcome, Jacob. Hi, hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for writing this book. I've learned absolutely tons. Um, I think it's kind of the first time we've gone into any depth uh, uh, talking about psychoanalytic ideas on the show, so um, hopefully we'll be able to kind of have a, you know, we'll all be able to kind of learn a lot from some of the emerging themes from the book around around this too. So it's going to be less kind of talking about the different um, subject categories of the manosphere, although that will certainly come up, but more some of the key emerging themes that come out. But first of all, what attracted you to the work? And also, why psychoanalysis? And what does that bring us? What kind of perspective does that does that give us? Yeah. Um, so in, in general, I... The, the, the work that I um, tend to do or the research that I tend to do um, is 
psychoanalytic. So, so I use psychoanalysis uh, in general in my work. So my background is kind of in media studies. I'm not primarily um, a kind of masculinity studies scholar or mm-hmm. sort of expert on masculinity that sort of came a little bit secondary um, with with this book uh, that, that's recently been published. So, so in general, I'm kind of very interested in um, using psychoanalysis as as a particular um, kind of kind of theory or kind of sort of idea yeah. of what it means, you know, what it means to be a human being in in a sense yeah. um, that comes out of the clinic. It comes out of mental health practice primarily, but then it's not. You know, it's not just about kind of looking at particular mental health conditions or looking at, you know, therapy or that sort of thing, but psychoanalysis is a a general kind of theory of of human identity and and, and how humans relate to each other and form relationships and and, and things like that. And um, in sort of my earlier work, I've been sort of looking at um, how people interact online or how kind of social media works and, and, and how we can sort of sort of um, uh, use psychoanalysis to kind of make sense of how the contemporary internet works and things like that. And um, when I started doing kind of work for this for this Manosphere book, um, on, on, on one level, it was kind of natural for me to use psychoanalysis because that's what I do. But then on, on, on the other hand, it also, um, it also kind of made sense for me to, to kind of um, analyze or to kind of write about those, those men and those communities that I write about in the book from a psychoanalytic perspective, because I think psychoanalysis is the, the only um, kind of way, or, or one of one of the only sort of sort of um, ideas or kind of kind of bodies of thought that is able to um, account for something like contradiction, for example, in, in in a kind of in a meaningful way. How, in general, as as human beings, you know, very often um, we want things that are you know that are bad for us, or we um, can't you know we I don't know we are in a particular relationship that is maybe not you know it's 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 not good for us or it's you know it's it's toxic or whatever but we can't we can't get out of that or you know th- there are these kind of contradictions um that that are really really essential to what it means to what it means to, to be alive in a way to be to mm-hmm. be to be a human being and these contradictions are also i think really really central to um, the manosphere to the, to these kind of different communities that I look at in the book, uh, even though these communities are, are sort of different, um, in, in, in their outlook and, and in, in what they, what they are sort of about. But at, at the end of the day, I sort of try to make the argument that they are all about, um, kind of, kind of, circulating producing spreading fantasies you know about what it means to be a man today what it means to be um a woman what femininity is today what masculinity is today and these things are always structured around questions of kind of desire and and affirmation and and love and care and at the same time you know that you mentioned you mentioned it they're deeply you know misogynistic they're deeply destructive they're very very violent as well and um this might seem like a contradiction but for kind of psychoanalysis it, it's not a contradiction at all it goes perfectly well together 
uh, in a way. And that was sort of my starting point, I think. Hmm. Was there anything in particular that attracted you to this? To to this, or is it was it kind of your interest in psychoanalysis that led you to looking at this uh, uh, this work around masculinities? Basically, was was there anything in in this that kind of sparked your interest? Um, I think I, I think I was what what sort of got me interested in in in, in this area was um, primarily. I think the first sort of the first community I kind of stumbled upon, you know, were incels. Uh, uh, there's sort of sort of two chapters on on incels in the book, and I was really um, probably like you know all of us. Uh, I was really shocked, and it was just really it was just really shocking to see the kind of um, the kind of language uh, that's used, the kind of the kind of yeah, often very, very kind of violence, but also very, very, you know, it's very, very hopeless. There's a deep kind of feeling of despair in, in, in that community in particular, I think. Um, and, and it's very kind of, it's very depressing to read through, uh, th- those posts and so on. But, but at the same time, um, there is also a sense of kind of, honesty or or kind of kind of self self disclosure those men talk about themselves and so on um and and in a way they also kind of reveal a very strong um vulnerability maybe in in a sense and i think that also attracted uh attracted me to that community in particular and then sort of branching out into the into the manosphere where I was sort of also thinking about myself. I do that in the book a little bit, sort of in the introduction, sort of talking about myself and, you know, what is my own sense of masculinity? How, uh, not that I'm identifying with those, with those men, but then, you know, on some level, um, those men, the manosphere, incels in particular, they kind of talk about questions that are very, um, that are that are very sort of sort of uh, universal in a way that are you know particularly universal maybe to men or I could I could relate to them on some level where it's about mm. um, uh, you know growing up or being a teenager or whatever it's about questions of you know desire who am I desirable what are you know what what are relationships like um, you know what's going to happen. Um, also in relation to, you know, questions of sexuality and so on, you can probably, you know, also <laughs> talk about that. It'd be interesting to hear your, your thoughts, you know, because you yeah. are really more of an expert on, on that than I am in relation to, to kind of, you know, sex education and so on. We might, we might get into mm. that. So, so, yeah. uh, also kind of thinking about sort of my own identity a little bit, um, that attracted me to this as well. And then, um, I was also, it was also really shocking to me, not only to kind of see the violence. And I, I mean, I spent lots of time sort of critically analyzing that in the book, but then how deeply those communities, um, were and are, I think, uh, kind of connected to, you know, the old right to kind of ideas around fascism, how they use very, very deliberately, uh, Images from the alt-right that are sort of, you know, that were sort of popularized during, you know, 2015, 2016, kind of Trump meme wars and, and, and Trump election campaign on social media, harassment campaigns going on, things like Gamergate and so on. Um, that was really, so there was a sort of urgency there as well for me to write something about this because of how it sort of 
related to a much more um, broader threat of of fascist politics and kind of right-wing populism and so on that's kind of spreading across the world really um, yeah yeah and I thought it was really it's very easy I think and I can kind of understand why people do it for people to just kind of treat the manosphere as if they're kind of over there somewhere and that they are somehow either stupid or deluded or in some way kind of um, you know treated with derision and I think that's kind of almost a defense mechanism for the kind of us and I think Mm -hmm. what's really good about this book and your approaches that is looking at the possibilities of you know where this comes you know we you know, all have the same. There is the possibility for this to be in all of us in in, in some way, right? That 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 uh, you know, we're all within the same culture mm-hmm. and have the same kinds of relationships. And our, you know, we all we can't escape the, the culture which tells us the very strict rules about masculinity and femininity, for example. How do different people come to that? And how do different people understand theirs? And I think that's that kind of putting yourself in the book in that way, I think is a really helpful reminder that this is not necessarily to be sympathetic towards uh, the manosphere or even to be empathetic, but it's to do more than just to dismiss and put them over there uh, and treat them as this kind of other that uh, that just exists over there. Because first of all, they mm. don't just exist over there. Mm. These people exist in real life too. And um, in the case of mass shootings uh, chapter, we can see that all too painfully, um, clearly. Um, but also, they're not just over there. They're, many of their ideas, many of their core assumptions around sexuality, relationships, are not just held by people over there and not just held by people in the alt-right, but by people of all political persuasions. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, many people on the left are not exactly <laughs> uh, very well-branded when it comes to thinking about things like um, masculinity, femininity, mm-hmm. sexuality, and gender roles, etc. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it's really it's really interesting for that reason too. So before we go too much further, though, so you you were you were kind of looking in on these on these uh, the these manosphere communities, weren't you? There, so they're on uh, mostly on Reddit. Is that right? Uh, the, yeah. Uh, yeah um and so yeah can you give us like a broad overview of the kinds of people that you were looking at and 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 the, and the people that um the the communities that feature in the book i know there are many different communities online and but uh but uh who we talk about when we talk about the manosphere yeah um so 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 the the manosphere is a kind of um term or it's like an umbrella term f- um for a kind of very sort of loose collection of lots of different communities groups websites uh, individuals um things like that so it's it's probably very difficult to kind of um sort of map the manosphere or i'm not i wouldn't say that i'm sort of talking about the manosphere as a whole even though i mentioned this term in the in the in the book and in the title and so on um because there are also lots of other communities that I don't that I don't really um talk about in the book but the 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 manosphere is a kind of is 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 a sort of term to um describe or 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 as a, as it's also it's used by by those men as well very often as a, as a term to kind of kind of for them to sort of um um assemble under this term but I think what um, all of these communities have in common is that they are very deeply misogynist and very often very specifically anti-feminist 
Um, uh, and and um, there is, for example, a kind of community within the manosphere that I don't talk about in the book. You know, the men's rights movement that 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 has a much longer history. It kind of comes out of the sexual revolution. It comes sort of directly out of the or as, as a kind of response to the to the feminist movement to to kind of first wave feminism in the late sixties. Um, uh, but which historically kind of also turned um, more and more uh, sort of anti-feminist and, and um, destructive as, as kind of time time went on. Um, specifically in the book, we've mentioned it, we've talked about incels, so, so I, I have I talk about incels uh, quite a bit um, in kind of two chapters. I also look at YouTube and... Um, most of these, lots of these communities are on Reddit. Uh, that's right. Reddit has banned quite a lot of them in sort of the last couple of years because there was just too much pressure, I think, being put on Reddit to kind of, kind of tighten its moderation policies, which were really non-existent up until kind of 2019 or so. Um, I think, um, so, so some of these communities, also some of the data even that I was looking at is no longer, it doesn't, it's no longer, uh, existing. Um, but a lot of them are on Reddit still um but also some of them have their own websites or their own kind of kind of for, fora and so on so i look at incels i look at youtube specifically on youtube um um uh, i kind of um analyze in quite a lot of detail just a few um videos by youtubers who belong to the old right so they are very specifically also kind of racist and, and anti-semitic and so on and i and and um, I already took out a lot of the kind of data that was so it was kind of so uh, racist. I didn't want to even kind of write about it in the book to kind of tone things down a little bit. But um, YouTubers, where they they kind of talk about the legacy as they see it of of you know six nineteen sixty eight late sixties uh, sexual revolution um, feminist movements and so on. That in, in, according to them. Um, uh, sort of led to now an age of moral decline, um, uh, kind of, kind of, uh, divorces are skyrocketing, um, right. sexual, you know, se- sexual transmitted diseases are everywhere, you know, things like that. So, and they will blame, uh, you know, um, the sexual revolution for that. Um, uh, 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 and then I also look at, um, a community that is sort of, Closely, I think, affiliated with incels, but also quite different in a way. Meektow, um, some listeners may have heard of that community, men going their own way, uh, which is quite interesting. It's, it's basically a kind of male um, supremacist, male separatist community where men argue that they um, need to kind of live uh, a life that's entirely without women. And they say they have managed to do that in, in, in many cases where um, you know, they, they shouldn't be in a relationship with a woman they shouldn't you know they shouldn't uh, should sort of avoid contact minimize contact with women etc etc uh, because mm-hmm. that will bring them sort of fulfillment or happiness um, and then um, I also look at the no fap uh, community and you said you Scott uh, you had him on the show he's doing great mm-hmm. work on no fap um, yeah. and I would also 
uh, kind of see NoFab as part of the manosphere as well. The other day, someone very angrily tweeted me and said, how how can uh, you kind of see NoFab as part of the manosphere? They are not... um, And maybe yes and no. So NoFab is kind of interesting because it's much, much more nuanced as a community. Overall, it's maybe a bit bit less kind of misogynist, uh, a bit less sort of violent, but it's, it's very, very problematic in a way as well so that's a sort of anti anti porn um, community um, and then I also look at two um, mass shooters who are probably quite well known sadly one is being um, Anders Breivik who committed um, mass shooting in uh, Norway and the other who also identified as an incel um, maybe before that community was so big uh, Elliot Roger in, you know, who, who also, um, in the States who, who killed, uh, people in 2014, um, as a result of, of, of hating women, essentially. Um, um, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, 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 the gist of the book. That's sort of the different men or the different sort of, sort of, um, chapters that I, that I have. Yeah. And there are the, the, there are many differences as you were leading to uh, between those groups and also difference in your analysis takes you to different places with them too but I think for the for this show we're going to um, to look at some of the the consistently emerging themes that come out of come out of it um, because uh, uh, I think I'll be really interesting and one of them is you know they all relate to uh, some form of what we know as hegemonic masculinity so hegemonic or uh, common sense ideas or assumptions of the rules of what it is you need to do in order to do masculinity um, and but there are there are different forms of like hegemonic masculinities aren't there and 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 they relate to them in in different ways and of course with uh, within cells they kind of also have like a, they project they have uh uh, they have their own hegemonic masculinity, their own fantasy of hegemonic masculinity as the Chad as well, but they are also doing their own form of hegemonic masculinity mm. as well, aren't they? So could you tell us a bit more about some of their, some of how they create their masculinities or how they understand, how, how, how that kind of sense of subjectivity kind of comes out of some of these communities? Yeah. Um, so, so in a way, um, those communities are all about Kind of struggling with um, ideas around hegemonic masculinity, or or we could also kind of say ideas around what you know what does it mean to be a man? Um, what 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 sort of masculinity is is there today? Um, and those men all seem to kind of struggle in, with it in so far that they that they kind of feel that they lack lack it or that they, they, they feel that they can't kind of obtain it or they can't sort of um, embody a particular kind of masculinity that they perhaps would like to have. Um, mm. That's also why, kind of going back to our earlier kind of question of, of psychoanalysis, that's why I'm so interested in psychoanalysis because of um, sort of psychoanalytic theorizations or kind of ideas around fantasy. So for psychoanalysis, fantasy is really really central um basically it it kind of to put it sort of sort of crudely it kind of that you know, re- refers to um the subject or the individual you know kind of creating um images creating ideas 
um, that are very, very often they come into being unconsciously. They have unconscious dimensions. We don't know why we have particular kind of fantasies, why we um, uh, may kind of desire or aspire him to be a particular um, or to have a particular sense of masculinity. Um, those are kind of kind of phantasmatic. We create them sort of in our in our own minds. Um, but then, of course, they are shaped by culture and they're shaped by the media, they're shaped by um, uh, kind of wider society and, and, and neoliberalism and things like that. Um, and for those communities, it, it seems to be that they have, they, they um, sort of respond to particular fantasies of, of hegemonic masculinity that are um, still, even though... Um, in kind of masculinity studies, there is sort of the argument being made. There are always different versions of masculinity. There are different kind of ideas around hegemonic masculinity. They are competing. Um, this is a sort of dynamic process. But um, for those men, it seems to be that they um, construct a particular version of what it means to be an ideal male uh, that is very much um, also influenced, I think, by neoliberalism by what it means to be successful um, both kind of economically and sort of sort of sexually and and those two things are really they really kind of messily intertwine them or they really kind of kind of bring them together where one where one thing is sort of dependent on the other so um, in cells for example you know they're kind of involuntary celibate they, they haven't been in a relationship or they've not for a long time or never and, and, and so on so um, and they say you know that's also because they might be unemployed or they have a shit job or they're still at home or they um, they're depressed or w whatever reasons they they kind of use um, they talk about themselves in very kind of neoliberal sort of terms um, whereby, you know, in today's kind of neoliberalism, you need to be, you know, you need to make it as a, as a man. You need to be successful. You know, you need to be the, the breadwinner at home. Um, you need to, you know, have, 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 you know, have a good salary, uh, things like that. And then, um, you know, if your material kind of, kind of, uh, status is, is, is sort of settled, everything else will follow and you'll have a good life and you'll be in a relationship and, and, and whatever. And, you know, that's sort of in, uh, the, the complaint that incels have. And to some degree, uh, maybe they have a point um, because yeah. that is, you know, if, that is what neoliberalism kind of says to us. That is how often the media, you know, still portrays masculinity and so on. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, then I guess that, yeah, I mean, that uh, just to, to bump in here about the um, about the kind of where, well, just to remind the dear listener, neoliberalism is when we're talking about it here, it is the, the idea that we as individuals have control and mastery over our lives and can improve ourselves. Um, we have to com constantly compete with others in mm. like a kind of a, mar a marketplace. One of the, I guess, one of the fantasies of masculinity that a lot of these guys are kind of holding on to is. I guess what would be what would have been termed like masculinities during like the Fordist era. So the idea that men would um, be be given enough work, working class men would be given enough uh, money for their work, that they could have a nuclear family unit, they could have a wife at home, and they they could do the care work of reproduction and raising their kids, and men would go out and work. 
that ended at the same time as the roughly the same time as like the sexual revolution, or mm-hmm. certainly coming to an end at that time. And so, in kind of post-Fordism and neoliberalism, men were still told you have to do this, mm-hmm. but also, but that you wouldn't get the wages anymore. You know, the 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 the, the capitalist. Um, uh, I guess the Fordism was like a settlement, wasn't it? And that mm-hmm. began to unravel at the same time as the sexual revolution. So. You know, there is like a kind of a capitalist uh, analysis or a Marxist analysis we could apply to to these insults saying, well, yeah, you're right, but it's this. Mm-hmm. But they still hold on to that fantasy that they still have to be that man. They have to achieve it through neoliberal means. But also these very old fashioned ideas of like what it is to be a man and uh, the kind of classical ideas of what what masculinity is and, um, and that that is somehow entrenched and natural within us at all times isn't it mm. yeah yeah absolutely and and um what we then also sort of have the, the, the kind of situation that we're in now um is we've had things like the you know 2008 financial crisis or we have a now sort of um almost global kind of economic crisis because of covid and things like that things are very very uncertain in, in, in the world and and uh, in, in in terms of the economy in particular, um, and this of course affects everybody uh, in the world, not just men, not just men on the on of the manosphere, but um, they maybe have a particular way of kind of responding to that uncertainty or responding to. Um, uh, maybe you know losing their jobs or living in a kind of time now that is completely uncertain and where as you said this idea of um, you're the male breadwinner you have a job for life that maybe previous generations you know, had their parents or their grandparents and, and so on that's completely gone and that stability is gone and it's probably certainly not going to return in our lifetime probably and not for no. those men and then they need to sort of come to terms with that. But then they um, um, sort of do two things in a way. I think incels in particular, uh, they blame women uh, because they say, okay, they, we've had the sexual revolution, we've had feminism, now we have sort of female empowerment. Um, we are all being, ab- we're all being abandoned by, by, by feminists or by women. Uh, they, they do that. And... Um, to, to make it even worse, then very often they sort of uh, embrace um, the odd right or they sort of embrace not just um, ideas of sort of hegemonic masculinity, what it means to be a kind of successful individual, but also um, they desire to, to, to sort of what I kind of sort of call in the book to sort of be a sort of fascist fascist body. So, so when I was started looking into incels and this um, figure of the chat that they create, um, which is completely a complete fantasy, uh, I think, mm. um, which is a white male kind of very muscular um, sort of superhuman sort of sort of um, um, body. Um, I couldn't help but just see that as as a kind of it, it's like a fascist soldier. It's like how fascism or how um, the, you know the the soldier was kind of sort of seen in the in the in the third Reich or kind of by yeah. so, so 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 and that becomes possible um, because we've seen um, you know things like Trump and what's been going on on the internet and and sort of 
and increasing right-wing populism and so on. So, so these things all sort of come together in something like the chat. Well, let's move on to that because this was a really um, important uh, theme throughout the book. Uh, you were um, you were working from uh, the work of uh, I'm going to mispronounce the name Klaus. Tewerlite? Tewerlite, yeah. Tewerlite. My German is terrible. I'm really sorry. Who also wrote um, an intro to your to your book, which is really interesting, I thought. Mm. His book, um, so his work was about um, looking at the rise of fascism and in, in Germany, right? And that he was looking at, so you, kind of anyone with like a casual kind of uh, understanding of history of the early 20th century and the rise of fascism might only look at it from the, this kind of, uh, uh, have this kind of uh, materialist like economic analysis that this was the thing that caused fascism. And yeah. certainly that may have been in the background. Yeah. But he really talks about actually there was this um, uh, psychodynamic thing at play where there was this desire to be a certain kind of man and the free court were the the like the militarized mm. uh wing of that right mm-hmm. so could you tell us a bit more about that but also tell us some of the key similarities and 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 some of the differences uh with the manosphere and and um and we can see why you know we might be able to see why that is actually quite a useful analysis but first of all tell us about the the, the free court if you can mm. and, and what was going on there um yeah so so as I was sort of, um, sort of, sort of starting to um, write the book, or kind of, kind of analyzing, collecting data, and so on, I was sort of thinking about what, what sort of wider kind of framework can I use to kind of make sense of this, um, also in, in relation to, to kind of, kind of questions of history and and and, and, and you know, fascism and, and and things like that, um, because. In a way, you know, something we also shouldn't forget, even though um, these are particular sort of sort of maybe extreme kind of cases of misogyny uh, that I look at in the book, you know, with, with the manosphere. In a way, misogyny is also um, is also kind of kind of universal. It's it has a it has a history um, that is kind of you know related to patriarchy and and that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. So it's not in that sense it's not that new. Um, and this is this is sort of a point that that uh, Tevelite also also makes. Um, but so Klaus Tevelite I was I was sort of really um, sort of drawn to his work. He's a kind of a German cultural theorist, writer, um who in the 70s, in the 1970s, wrote um, a two-volume uh, kind of study, or it's, it's two books, um, it's called Male Fantasies, that, that um, are now kind of, they're sort of classic, like, so this is sort of classic work in kind of masculinity studies, kind of work on extremism and, and fascism and so on. Um, and it's more than a thousand words long, um, a thousand pages uh, long, um, so it's absolutely massive. It's very unstructured. It's very, it's very kind of also sort of sixties style in terms of writing. I don't think many people write like that anymore today, which is a shame. Um, but um, uh, and what Tevelite is sort of doing is that he um, 
he wanted to, as you said, he wanted to kind of look at the, the roots of kind of fascism, of, of sort of uh, German Nazism um, in relation to kind of psychoanalysis. And what he did was he, um, he sort of, he didn't start with, you know, 1933, you know, Hitler comes to power, what, what happens then, or kind of looking at particular kind of economic um, conditions of the Weimar Republic or whatever, as, as is the common, very often the sort of common, um, uh, kind of argument that's made in, in sort of trying to understand how, how such, you know, something as, as, as horrific as, as, uh, um, the Holocaust and so on could have happened. But he, um, uh, sort of wants to look at, um, Germany in the 1920s and these uh, Freikorps soldiers or these sort of sort of militias essentially um, that were sort of roaming Germany um, those men many of whom um, had been in the first world war but not but not all of them so they come um, out of out of a sort of moment of defeat uh, and that this the fantasy that they had that they were sort of born to be kind of kind of warriors that would kind of you know win the first world war that's been completely completely sort of shattered uh, and and so on and he then uh, looked at um novels and kind of diary entries um from that time um in how sort of those men kind of kind of wrote about um wrote about themselves wrote about um, women wrote about kind of you know the sort of violence that they uh, that they engaged in killing um, uh, communists or socialists and very often also killing women in particular mm. um, and the argument that Tevelite sort of makes he makes lots of arguments it's it's absolutely impossible to summarize his ideas or to even mm. I sort of Try to do that in the first chapter of the book, but it's, you know, it's, it's, um, um, no way doing sort of justice to his work. So I would just kind of encourage everyone to read his work. But what he, um, the argument that he makes is that those men, um, um, had a sort of very, very, very existential kind of fear, uh, of, of, of sort of, themselves being destroyed or of themselves being their egos what psychoanalysis is called their, their, their egos or their sort of sense of self their sense of identity being um, kind of blown up um, particularly by uh, by women um, and by everything that's sort of sensual that is sort of what we would call maybe feminine um, that is dirty uh, and so on that needs to be it needs to be killed it needs to be destroyed um, and it also has something to do with how they were raised as boys and, and things like that and, and um, the sort of military drill that is sort of in, in existence at the time and 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 and, and uh, many different factors but um, they kind of defend against feelings of kind of bodily sort of disintegration it's a sort of feeling of or kind of threat of disintegration at bodily level um, they defend against this by in, uh, committing horrific acts of violence and and uh, engaging in sort of massacres and 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 so on um, and women also play a particular role so women are kind of um, sort of in these novels or in their diary entries are kind of um, described as being kind of Sort of um, sexual beings as being very dirty as as 
being out there to kind of seduce those men, to kill those men. So that's why they need to be killed. That's why they need to be destroyed. Um, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of one of, one of the, the sort of arguments that, that Tevelite makes. And also, um, uh, what stops, um, those sort of feelings of, of, of sort of destruction for those men is that they find a kind of collective in their kind of, um, fry corps kind of brigade or in, or later in what would be full blown kind of fascism, Nazism and, and, and so on. So that gives them sort of collective identity because they can't sustain their own, uh, their own kind of, um, subjectivity. They can't sustain their own body. And this was, um, this is such a powerful argument uh, to make, I think. And I think it's, even though it's, it's highly, um, historically specific because he, he only writes about that, that particular period. But so much from that is applicable, um, to the, to, to the manosphere, I think, and, and is applicable to, to, to those men, um, where they might also feel, um, you know, very, very fragile, very, very kind of, kind of threatened. Uh, they talk about, you know, this all the time on, on the internet, how, they sort of feel threatened by women or how women have all the power now and are sort of you know, uh, weakening men or are sort of dominating men and things like that. Um, so that's why um, they kind of engage in this misogyny. That's why they want to kind of symbolically at least and often also uh, um, actually as, in, in, as we see it with Breivik or with Elliot Roger, they want to destroy um, women. Um but there are also differences, of course, to, so I take this kind of, so, this, so, so I take some ideas from TV like as, as kind of, um, uh, kind of, kind of, um, useful for my, for my own work. But there are also differences, of course. I mean, those men, they're not, you know, those men that I write about, they're not soldiers. Uh, <laughs> most of them, they might want to be, but, you know, they might want to kind of, they might desire to be a soldier, but they're not, they're not real soldiers and so on. Um, and also, I think what they, and that this is a key kind of difference, they also, um, desire women at the end of the day. So they, they, they hate women, uh, they want to destroy women, uh, on, on many levels and to various degrees, but at the same time, they also desire women and, and they want women and they let, you know, there is a sort of love there in, in, in some, in some sense. Um, uh, and that's different to Tevelite because for, for those kind of soldiers that he writes about, or well, they, they, they feel so kind of, um, they have such a sort of fragmented sense of masculinity. They just want to kind of get rid of, uh, uh women or, or destroy women altogether in, in a sense. Mm. Enjoying the show? Really good, isn't it? Remember, you too can support the show, help make the show happen. Patreon.com forward slash culture sex relationships. Yeah, that uh, that really comes out in 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 the book in the way that you were we're talking about um, incels, but also the uh, men going their own way. Is that there is something absolutely necessary about women? It, it's certainly with with the men going their own way. It's the um, they're men who talk about how much freedom they have and how much in, how in control of their lives they are and how they've kind of. Uh, via very uh, again neoliberal self improvement kind of ways of improved their lives without women, yet their entire 
being, their entire way they describe themselves, is in opposition to the women that aren't around, that they have excluded from their lives. So there is this kind of constant theme of women having to be there, yet also despised and seeking to be despised and destroyed. But it is, it's a fantasy of, of women, isn't it? It's a, mm. a, a fantasy of um, women being so empowered post-sexual uh, revolution that there are somehow... Some, uh, something that being a threat to their to their masculinity, to to a threat to their own masculinity, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 this was also so striking uh, for me. If you if you look at if you look at uh, MGTOW, it, you know, presumably they've they've made it. They've they've done it. You know, they 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 are on their own now. But then why do they talk about women all the time? Um, you know. From their own kind of perspective or from their own logic, that need wouldn't, it wouldn't need to be there anymore. They shouldn't have to, uh, kind of talk about women all the time and, and, and engage in this, you know, misogyny all the time because there's no need anymore. In a way, they are sort of the next step from, from incels. But, um, mm. um, this is where then sort of psychoanalysis comes in handy, I think. And, and, um, someone like Teva Lab, I also kind of look at more other sort of thinkers, um, in, in psychoanalysis who have looked at racism, for example, uh, from a psychoanalytic perspective. And racism functions in a very similar way here, uh, the, how, how, how those fantasies of women are constructed for those men. For racists, you know, it's the same. It's always, there is a kind of fantasy of the other that, that's created, um, but that other is absolutely needed. Um, it, it's, it's needed as a kind of, as a kind of, kind of fantasy that needs to be maintained. So, um, uh, the more I want, I wish to sort of destroy the other. And the more I, 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 I do that, the more I need this fantasy, the more I need images and ideas around what this other is and what he's doing or, or they are doing, um, uh, in order to, um, kind of uphold my own my own sanity in in quotation marks or my own my own sort of subjectivity and it's the same um, it's the same with those men. <clears throat> the difference uh, is maybe of course is that different to kind of kind of um, racism is that those men they kind of depend on uh, those men in the manosphere they depend on this in this fantasy of a kind of of a kind of sort of generic woman who is who is the sort of other that they that they wish to destroy and 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 so on but at the same time they desire this this they desire this other and and in constantly talking about women that's a way and and probably also an unconscious way because they don't really acknowledge that um or maybe they don't want to acknowledge that but um it's a way um, of remaining connected to to women, and 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 uh, in, women are not completely gone from those from those lives, sure. and I think that shows a kind of desire. And at the end of the day, that you know they 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 kind of want to be with with women as well. Yeah, and the the the, the possibilities for sexual desire are kind of ever present now, aren't they? Compared to a hundred years ago, when mm. they really weren't, mm. where there was active repression of um, desire, and now 
we can. Uh, I really like in the uh, the, the NoFap chapter where you bring. Uh, I can't remember whose word it was, but you're talking about the desire to desire. Mm. Um, you know, when we talk about pornography, and that's what pornography provides us with. Mm. Um, but that is literally the possibilities for that being. I don't like to say porn is everywhere or sexualized images are everywhere because we uh, we what we see isn't necessarily what somebody else sees. I think, but the possibility for that to be everywhere and the the greater permissiveness we have around. Uh, sexual images now actually do i mean yeah in some senses we have greater permissibility about um, sexual images and in other ways we still really don't but anyway i'm going down a bit of a tangent um but that is one of the key differences that that men are um creating this fantasy of the other that they that is necessary for their own subjectivity yet also desire them because in many ways, we are living in a in a world where that kind of repression doesn't exist so much. There is a simultaneous kind of um, repression going on, but also an extent to which there is an obsession with with talking about, uh, with creating all this discourse and creating these communities. And um, I think that leads us on to um, a concept that you uh, that you introduce in the book called disinhibition. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Because I think that'd be uh, really interesting to for our listeners to find out more about. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so um, this sort of comes from inhibition, first of all, which is a kind of psychoanalytic term, or if this goes back to Freud, um, where for Freud, inhibition basically um, kind of refers to um, instances where very often unconsciously, but also consciously, I want to avoid, you know, a particular situation or a particular scenario, a particular encounter, whatever, um, I um, the ego sort of inhibits itself in order not to experience something because it's associated with anxiety or with, you know, with sort of unpleasure, as Freud always calls it. You know, it's something that I want to kind of avoid because, um, you know, it doesn't sort of make me feel good in a way or mm-hmm. it's, it's, it makes me feel anxious and, and so on. Um, and then I kind of take that as a starting point to kind of try to account for um, those uh, debates or those posts uh, and those men, um, how on one level they are very, very inhibited. So, um, and this is something that they all talk about in different ways, uh, whether that's NoFap or Incels or whoever, um, or certainly somebody like Roger, like you know, the mass shooter, um, who at length he kind of talks about in his manifesto about um, that he never he never had a girlfriend he was always ignored uh, he didn't really um, he wasn't sort of confident um, didn't really know how to sort of behave or act in in front of women and, and things like that so so um, kind of ideas around social inhibition and incels are certainly also uh, in that category many incels they talk about that they they use this term themselves actually um in their sort of lingo they um shorten it they call it high inhib highly okay. inhibited uh um around others or or around women in particular and and at least that's what they that's what they say uh, online um so so there are, there are kind of questions around inhibition 
um, that, you know, they, they relate to things like confidence. Um, and again, they relate to, you know, what we've discussed earlier, neoliberalism and kind of ideas and fantasies of masculinity that are sort of floating around everywhere. And what happens mm-hmm. if we can't conform to them or can't mm-hmm. fulfill, fulfill them? Um, um, and on the other hand, um, if we look at, you know, what's going on in these communities and the violence and the language that they use and the force and kind of, kind of, um, repetitive nature through which they post stuff all the time and kind of, uh, um, you know, there is sort of content being posted all the time. Um, that, that, you know, on the surface level has nothing to do with inhibition, uh, because, um, that's very disinhibited. You know, it's the opposite of inhibition. It's completely, you know, in these communities, there are no rules there. There is, there are no laws there in a way. Um, it, it, it's so disconnected from, um, sort of the real world in a way. Um, and it's precisely through those communities that those men, um, sort of, sort of portray themselves also as very, very disinhibited as, um, as, uh, having, you know, the confidence that they might lack, uh, outside of the internet as having, um, kind of, kind of grand narratives and explanations for things that they might not, you know, utter or might not talk about, um, to anyone else mm. apart from, the, from, from those groups. Um, and, and, uh, uh there, there, nothing is sort of regulated within those communities. Everything is completely kind of disinhibited. Um, yeah. but at the same time, if we kind of think about, you know, kind of, culture more broadly and the internet more broadly as well in a way the internet is completely disinhibited um social media is completely disinhibited i think um because of how people interact of how polarized debate often is how um you know the violence that people use on on a day-to-day level the, the language i think it's it's very often quite shocking and uh, on top of that um you know, we have things like, like pornography and, and so on that also shows a form of sexuality that is, you know, that is completely disinhibited. That's the point, uh, I think of, of, um, of, of pornography. And, you know, we, we can make of that what we want. Um, mm. but that's something that everyone is confronted with today. And that certainly those men are confronted with today. And then they, they react in, in particular ways. Mm. I was really interested by this because um, I've I've often kind of uh, in when I'm teaching young men about masculinity or or, or um, trying to introduce young men to ideas of hegemonic masculinity, I kind of talk about a a kind of a donut model, whereas the the, the learned um, hegemonic masculinities are those which we do on the outside, and then mm. the inside, the, the jam, I guess, might be the unconscious or mm. our affects or our mm. feelings or something. Mm. And the key rule is don't reveal your jam. Yeah. Yet, don't don't talk about that. Yeah. Yet with so, in one sense, there because these are public posts on Reddit and people talking about things that really trouble them and, and these men find really difficult. Mm. In some way, it's kind of like jam everywhere, isn't it? But yeah. it's coded. Yeah. It's kind of coded in ways which is still doing hegemonic masculinity, isn't it? So the yeah. the, the posting in and of itself is extremely like macho, yeah. violent, angry, aggressive. Yeah. So it's kind of both, isn't it? It's the, and so that that disinhibition is feels quite 
it sort of, it feels like uh, desperate, doesn't it? Like a uh, police see all of this pain, but in yeah. but coded very in very masculine ways. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's that's a really, I, I like that the donut model uh, and and that the yeah the, uh, the jam is everywhere. You know they should maybe do a bit of cl- bit of cleaning up. But but um, yeah, I think I think that is. I think that is that's a good point, and at the same time, what's also interesting, there are other, some other um, um, scholars or other other people. I think also maybe in, uh, online, they've sort of made the argument that actually, you know, what happens in those spaces? Okay, they're public spaces, um, but you know, we are we should we are not meant to be sort of visiting them, and um, certainly if if someone who is not part of that community, you know, were to post there, you know, that person is immediately banned, you know, completely, yep. immediately shut down. Um, but then these kind of, you know, these men, they might be very, very, you know, very, very lonely or very alienated. They form these sort of groups. Um, and we could say those are, you know, those are kind of self-help groups in a way. I mean, mm. I don't agree. I, I don't really agree with that. But um, this that argument has been made. And, you know, we should tolerate those spaces because they allow um, for the, you know, they can express their feelings. And, you know, very often they are quite articulate in a way in, in, the, in their sort of, sort of hatred and misogyny. They're also very self-reflexive. Um, they, they kind of think about themselves a lot, maybe a bit too much even. Um, so mm. those are kind of spaces for men you know, to come together, which is something that we as, you know, so-called progressive, you know, you know, men or kind of progressive individuals, we criticize this all the time where we're kind of saying, we don't have this in society. Men can't come together. There is no space for men, you know, to talk about their feelings. There's no, uh, you know, there's no space for this. And now then these spaces kind of emerge and okay, it's all, it's all horrible. So it's, and I'm, I don't really have a, fully formed uh, opinion on that. No. It's very com- complex, I think. Um, and t- to some degree, these spaces probably serve as kind of um, um, spaces where, you know, those men can vent or they can sort of articulate um, uh, ideas. Uh, what, you know, and the question is also what would happen if they, um, if they could, if they hadn't found those spaces, who knows, you know, what, what, what yes. might have happened. Um, that doesn't mean we should, um, you know, kind of, kind of justify or we're, we're sort of, sort of, uh, uh, um, rationalizing what is going on there. It's, it's deeply wrong. Uh, and they make absolutely wrong conclusions, uh, those men. But nonetheless, those spaces are sort of there. Um, and there is all, often lots and lots of debate around, you know, we need to shut these spaces down. You know, Reddit has banned lots of these spaces. Um, I think for probably for the right reasons, but it can't be the answer um, that we're shutting everything down because then we are only reinforcing, you know, kind of ideas that, and, and fantasies that those men already have, where they're kind of saying, but we're the outcasts, we are alienated from society because you, have, you know, you um, terrible feminists or you um, progressive men or whatever have, have um, uh, sort of, sort of, um, um, out, you know, we are, out, we are outcasts because of you. Uh, so yeah. yeah complicated yeah it's really that's really interesting um i guess they th- these communities are kind of 
is it possible to have like a regressive community? I guess because if they mm. are a conservative community, because they they seem to be desiring or wanting to re-experience their own lack rather than thinking, yeah. um, you know, uh, what else they might do well, the, the, to expand their possibilities. Yeah. Um, which is, so I guess, you know, we, we are always saying, you know, it's good to organise and to be in communities, I say, but I guess, but, you know, but they have to be, they have to be for a point, I suppose, yeah. and for, uh, for yeah, we want it to be for, for progressive. Um mm reasons i guess mm. um just coming on to the in onto your conclusion of the book which so you kind of begin the conclusion by saying um but can i can i ask you a question oh, actually Bef- um, oh, yeah, because you know you you mentioned that the donut mo- uh, model and so on i think that's so fascinating how do you what you know when you talk to to men and so on and if you encounter um kind of resistance you know to those ideas or you know those men they might be saying to you that, that you know that's all that's all rubbish what you're saying you know we, we, we shouldn't be in touch with our feelings and, and and so on how do you kind of respond to that or is that you know a lot of your work is sort of about sort of breaking down barriers and misconceptions and so how, how do you handle those sort of situations well i guess what i do is to use it as a tool really where where i think it might help someone to understand something so um rather than kind of like presenting you know, a discourse of masculinity, I think everyone should get behind. I say, well, what mm. if we were to understand it this way? Does this have, is this a useful framing for you? And so some people have found that very useful, but that's, of course, when they are, uh, they are already invested in, 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 uh, in the lesson or in the one-to-one chat we're having. Certainly when I've, um, my experience of delivering uh, relationships and sex education in person, I do get the, um, some young men who think that I'm just going to go into the room and and tell them off about something. You know, uh, you know, if I'm starting a lesson about consent, mm. a lot of the young men are folding their arms, thinking, "Oh, uh, I'm looking at their watch, thinking, at, at what point is he going to suggest I'm a rapist?" Mm. So, in part, I think there's a lot of bad sex education which we've had, um, which has completely switched young men off, and mm. pushes them often might push them in a in a more um regressive conservative kind of direction but um in where i have worked with young men where they've they've wanted to kind of talk about about this stuff they the the i guess the donor model or, or understanding hegemonic masculinity in that way is certainly something they they recognize they recognize it in themselves and they also recognize it in other people too like in their friends mm. that there is this kind of you know one of the things that I often say is that I think it's a nonsense that men don't talk about their feelings. It's just that they don't talk about talking about their feelings. Mm. So one of the, one of the things that I think is really interesting from, from, from the book is that kind of, is that armor that they, that they have, Mm. um, the, the, by joining together, they create this impenetrable, um, community, which obviously has like a kind of, uh, uh, if they are impenetrable, that has a, you know a psychoanalytic meaning, I guess, as well. Mm. But but that kind of sense of like protection, I think, is kind of interesting because it's that thing of men having to constantly be on their guard, I guess. And I think mm. that is both culturally created, as we've talked about, but also there is this there is this psychodynamic thing at play here, which I think actually young men are interested in chatting about. But you've got to get them. To the point where they're where they where they don't think that they're going to be penetrated, basically. 
Mm. So this, you I mean, have to kind of sneak up on them, really, in a way. Yeah, and 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 actually, you know, literally, I mean, this just uh, just a thought I had. This, you know, it, it it also has something to do with kind of heterosexuality, and you know, sort of metaphorically speaking, uh, you know, in in sort of cis culture, and so men do, you know, they penetrate, so yeah. they absolutely cannot um, let themselves be, you know, kind of penetrated both. Uh, um, um, literally and metaphorically speaking, as you say, um, that, 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 that's so fascinating. And we see how, you know, it, it's sort of connected to kind of sexuality again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in all of the work that I, in all of the really successful work that I've done with young men, they have to really, really trust me. And that takes mm. a long time. And actually, yeah. you know, work, doing this kind of work with young men is quite costly, actually. And that's one of the reasons why I used to work on a project specifically aimed at young men i was doing this project for nearly 10 years and mm. when the cuts came in it just got dropped mm. um it was really successful but it takes a long long time and other men have to check it out and then recommend it to other men and it's kind of like this kind yeah. of whispered among men kind of thing that this is okay to go to kind mm. of thing mm. but yeah it's even the process is really hard so i i couldn't even begin to think about how we might do outreach in these online communities. I'm not sure it's possible from certainly, yeah. from, you know, from what you've said already. Um, but um, one of the things in, in that you kind of reflect on this in the conclusion, which I think is uh, really great. You kind of, it's almost as if you kind of, you COVID happens and you kind of come back to it and you have mm. a, like a, a, another reflection on the book and you bring in this concept of recognition Um as as a way of perhaps um, as as a way of maybe providing some hope or maybe providing us with providing everyone maybe with a way out and um, mm. do you think there are ways out uh, or, or ways to kind of you know, I guess it has to come from the men themselves to begin with but are, are there ways that we can give them exits I suppose? Yeah, that's a very that's a very good question, and and um, that's I was that's something that I was sort of so I kind of finished the book, and then I was also kind of thinking about that, or kind of talking to people who um, had read the manuscript, or um, um, the, this book is part of a book series of, for Routledge, and the two series editors also kind of really um, we really talked about that because the, this question of where do we go from here or what what what, what do we do is is I think very important um, and I don't really have an answer in relation to what can we do how can we kind of reach out or how can we kind of intervene in those communities because it is so it is so difficult um, because they are so kind of kind of closed in a way at the same time also um, probably some of those men, they also grow out of those communities. Uh, it's a bit difficult to know the exact demographics of those communities, but those tend to be sort of younger men, and hopefully uh, many of them, you know, it's a phase in their lives, and they might sort of grow out of it, but there's no way of, 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 uh, of, of, of knowing that. Um, but through this sort of idea of, of recognition, what I'm trying to do is is to kind of um, yeah introduce a little bit more hope into that perhaps because um, on one level we need to kind of I think it's important to critically sort of analyze um, those communities and and to kind of critically sort of interrogate the misconceptions 
the sexism, the racism, the misogyny, and so on. Um, and and many academics do that, and in a way, that's what academics do. Um, but it's also it, it, sort of important to move beyond that, and particularly. Uh, psychoanalysis always also, I think, sees the kind of love within <laughs> within the hate uh, or within the destruction. And and sure. um, this idea of, of recognition is it um, comes from uh, the psychoanalyst Jessica Benjamin. Um, and um, recognition is something that is very kind of foundational to all of us as human beings. You know, we want to be recognized by others. We want to be sort of seen and acknowledged by others uh, because, you know, that, that it's, it's the sort of, it's the foundation of, of any ethics of being together, of life, social life and so on, of communication of everything. Um, but for Benjamin, recognition also means that I, as an individual, am ab I'm, I'm able to kind of see that the other person is the same as I am, but they're also different. And, um, you know, this is very difficult for, for humans to kind of see in general. That's why psychoanalysis is so successful as a, as a or any sort of mental health um, treatments are so um, important and, and uh, in demand. But um, recognition is also kind of linked to sort of um, early life or kind of the, the, how, how sort of infants interact with, with uh, caregivers and, and, and things like that. Um, and um, at the end of the day, I think what those men, you know, what they, what they really want is they want recognition. They, in a way, all they want is to kind of be recognized and to feel valued uh, like all of us want to. Um, and for them, you know, particularly, they want to feel valued and recognized by cis women. Um, at the same time, of course, they would need to kind of, kind of return that recognition, you know, which is something they absolutely don't do. So they've got themselves in a, in a sort of vicious circle in a way where they, um, w want recognition, they de desire recognition, they can never, but they can't admit it in most cases and instead, um, uh, they kind of opt for destruction um, and don't return, uh, even if they were, were offered recognition, you know, which is not something we can sort of demand of, of, of anyone uh, to give it, give that to them. But even if they were kind of recognized, uh, they might not kind of respond adequately in a way. Um, but at the same time, and this is also a kind of problem I have with um sort of research or kind of academics or others where they sort of make the argument, oh, this is just about sort of misogyny or this is just about online misogyny or this is just about mm -hmm. hatred and so on. Um, it's more than that. And um, um, for, for, and this is something Benjamin sort of talks about, for, for psychoanalysis, the very, uh, and for kind of um, early um, infants or the sort of young child, they actually have lots of fantasies uh, in, in, in their minds and they sort of play out lots of scenes of destruction, of kind of destroying the other in order to see uh, if the other is going to survive that destruction because then he's really there. You know, then he's going to, or he or she or they, they are going to come back. Um, and, and um, you know, if, 
you know that's what real sort of sort of sort of love is and so on as a as a child i know you know if i i don't know i say something bad to my uh, parents or to my caregivers they will you know they will still be there they are they will still be there they are always going to be there and they're going to give me that recognition and i'm going to give it to them and this is a very existential sort of unconscious sort of feelings of threat and 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 being undone being destroyed and this is managed by the infant through kind of these fantasies of recognition and checking okay you know that that they're still there they're still there it's okay it's it's okay and in a way this is um exactly what those men of the manosphere do as well on a very very kind of regressive level um uh, and and it has probably lots of sort of unconscious dimensions, but they do this as well in order to. Um, it, or, or it, it, it's it's a way of sort of sort of expressing their desire for recognition, their wish to be uh, recognized. And I don't know. I'd be interested what people think of that, or if that makes sense to people. Uh, maybe that gives us a bit of hope um, after reading a, a, a book like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, it was, uh, it was such a, uh, an, uh, I, I got good feelings reading the, the conclusion. <laughs> I'm not sure I came to any conclusions myself, but it mm. certainly did like kind of leave me with a sense of hope that, um, that there, there, it is possible that there's something which they may at some point leave behind, um, and where they may, in other senses, uh, I suppose, get that kind of recognition. It was really nice to, to um i think you were saying that jessica benjamin was also talking about uh winnicott as well and mm-hmm. um which i've talked about on other podcasts as well about how that um how when we feel uh sad it kind of reinforces our our, our independence our, our sense of our amness and that mm. sadness can be used in that way so perhaps if men mm. are able to actually to learn how to sit with feelings and to uh, yeah. For example, that might actually also be a way out. But uh, yeah, if we can get that, if we, if we can kind of reach them, and for them to actually do that work is is the key, isn't it? Um, yeah, and and also um, um, sort of, I think culture generally needs to change. So so um, there's a really brilliant book by um, Rachel O'Neill who works at yeah. the LSE in London, and she um, did a study with. Uh, pickup artists and, and a sort of ethnographic study going into these sort of training sessions and so on. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. And, um, I quote, I quote her sort of quite a bit in the book. And there is a sentence from her, um, I think I also kind of use it in the conclusion when she kind of says, you know, we live in a culture that, um, I, I can't sort of, I don't have the exact quote now, but we live in a culture that, 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 punishes vulnerability it you know um, uh, um, very very kind of strongly punishes vulnerability particularly if it you know for men and I think yeah. that is right and culturally things need to change as well and of course I mean, we all shape culture and so on but it's in and men need to do need to do a lot of work probably but it's not just about you know it's not just about men it's a it's a it's bigger questions um that, that that sort of come into into this as well. Yeah, particularly post COVID, where the world might have to reprioritize and uh, it, it more in terms of um, care and mm. Uh, mm. and support and and mm. uh, 
of course, conservation with the climate crisis and yeah. protection. Yeah. Um, Jacob, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting podcast. Well, thank uh, you. Well, I think it has. I don't know about what you think, dear listener. Um, is there anything you'd like to plug or uh, if if you want people to find you on the dreaded hell site that is twitter.com? Um, <laughs> I'm not very... Uh, people can search search for me on Twitter, but I, I'm, I'm very, very inactive on Twitter. So, so um, uh, follow, follow me at your own risk because I don't use Twitter uh, at... <laughs> Uh, well, actually, we met on Twitter, didn't we? So, because actually, I was comment, yeah. I was, I think, I was responding to one of your tweets, which is something I very, very rarely do. So that was actually <laughs> a very good, you know, something good came out of Twitter here. <laughs> um, <It's- laughs> Honestly, I tell people Twitter used to be like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We just need to make um, make Twitter better. Um, yeah. And that um, is the, that is yeah. your next book is going to talk about that, isn't it? As well. Yeah. Um, so, is it too so early to plug that, or should we? Plug I've got. That? I've um, together with um, my friend uh, and, and and colleague uh, Bonnie Rampatan, uh, we've written a book um, that's sort of um, at least sort of my thinking that informed that book comes comes a little bit out of this book uh, and looks at the internet in a much broader way um, uh, and how you know the internet is sort of so commodified and commercialized and you know everything is everything seems to be going wrong uh on social media and and sort of going going downhill um and again it's also related to um questions of sexuality it's related to questions of identity um big tech and and so on that's that's coming out in january so um not 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 that soon uh, with zero yeah. books, it's called Event Horizon, and uh, it's um, much shorter than than this book. So, so uh, um, yeah. Okay, well, dear listener, treat yourself <laughs> to both. Um, so, Fantasy Online Misogyny and the Manosphere is out now on Routledge, and uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes, and also a link to um, Jacob's next book too. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed that. Thank you.